Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Revelation chapter 18, starting with verse 16. I'm going to go to the end of the chapter, verse 24. The name of this section is Fallen is Babylon the Great, part 2. Our context is this. In the first part of chapter 18, we had Fallen is Babylon the Great, part 1. Babylon the Great, of course, is apostate Israel. So we start now in Revelation 18, verse 16 saying, Woe, woe, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now, this is probably not the best place to start. It's right in the middle of a sentence, but that's the way I broke it up. Who is saying, Woe, woe? That's Revelation 18.15. If you turn there, we'll see that it's the merchants. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, verse 16, saying, Woe, woe. This, of course, is all the merchants of the earth who were making profits off the great trade that was in Jerusalem, which we mentioned in our last audio by by giving you quotes from J. Massengerberg Ford and from Alfred Edersheim. Woe, woe, the great city. There's three sets of woe, woes in this chapter. The first was the kings of the earth saying, woe, woe, Babylon the great, apostate Jerusalem has fallen. The second woe, woe is right here. The merchants of the world who were rich from the trade with Israel are saying, whoa, whoa, they lost all their money. The third, which we'll see in a minute, are the shipmasters, those who were doing all the carrying trade from Jerusalem. They said, whoa, whoa, Babylon the Great, the great city. Now, the great city I've mentioned many times in audios past refers to Babylon the Great, which is apostate Israel. Here's how you prove it. Revelation 17:18. the woman you saw is the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. That is, the great city there is not identified in that verse, but in Revelation 11:8, the great city is identified as Jerusalem. Revelation 11:8, their dead bodies will lie in the main street of the great city, which figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Well, where was the Lord crucified? In Jerusalem. So the great city is called Jerusalem in Revelation 11.8. We go to Revelation 16.9, and the great city is called Babylon the Great. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. So the great city is called Babylon the Great there. So in Revelation 16, the great city is Babylon. In Revelation 11, the great city is Jerusalem, so therefore Jerusalem is Babylon. Of course, this is apostate Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that killed Jesus and the prophets. So the merchants of the earth are crying, woe, woe on Jerusalem, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet. Linen, of course, is what the high priest wears. That's one piece of evidence that we use to tie the great city, apostate Jerusalem, to to Israel, apostate Israel, because of that linen. It's kind of it sounds like a mixed metaphor. A great city clothed in linen. Cities generally aren't clothed in linen, but this is what it's referring to: the Old Testament high priest's linen, purple and scarlet. Likewise, purple and scarlet are two of the colors of the high priest vestments. Like Exodus 28:6. They are to make the ephod of finely spun linen embroidered with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. It was linen, which I just mentioned, and also it was purple and scarlet. I've already gone over this in Revelation 17, a couple of audios previous, but let me read Revelation 17 for again. The woman, that's the whore of Babylon, Babylon, the great city, equals Jerusalem, the apostate Israel, the whore. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet. So the identification works all the way through. 
This great city, who is a whore, but now it's a city, is clothed with gold and precious stones and pearls, just like the whore was. The whore in Revelation 17, 4, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, gold, jewels, and pearls, gold and precious stones and pearls in Revelation 18, 16. So once again, we have the identity of Babylon, the great with the whore of Babylon. The identity is pretty airtight. I don't think it takes a lot of speculation to figure out who this great city was. Apostate Jerusalem. The whore is sitting as a queen. Revelation 18.7, which we did in our last audio. As much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see grief. Queens sit in purple and scarlet. So, this is the great city, Jerusalem, going down. Revelation 18, 16. We go to Revelation 18, 17, 18, and 19. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor, and as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance, and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Now, who is pronouncing this third set of woes? That's the shipmasters, and their passengers and sailors, people in the carrying trade who made their living by the sea, carrying all those goods to Jerusalem. They lost their business when Jerusalem was burnt. They said in one hour such great wealth had been laid waste. One hour means it happened at a particular critical time. It has the idea of suddenness. Boom, it's all over. Right up to the end, the Jews were expecting a miraculous messianic deliverance, and it didn't happen. Boom, suddenly, Titus came in and burnt the city. The city fell. Such great wealth has been laid waste. The word there is literally means made desolate. The abomination of desolation, the abomination which causes desolation has occurred. Luke 21:20, Jesus said this in the Olivet Discourse, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Its desolation, the city has been laid waste, is the way John puts it in Revelation 18:17. whole bunch of crying going on by all the people in the Gentile world who are getting rich off of apostate Israel. We go now to Revelation 18:20. Rejoice over her, O heaven! And you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has promised judgment for you against her. All right, the first question we need to address is who's speaking this? You have to go all the way back to verse 4, and you and we read, Then I heard another voice from heaven come out of her, my people. That's who's speaking. That voice from heaven is no doubt God, because he says, my people, that would be God's people. So God is saying this in verse 20. He's saying, Rejoice, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pro pronounced judgment for you, for the church, against her, against apostate Israel, Babylon the Great, the false prophet, the land beast. Goodbye. Now notice that God is saying, Hey, it's all right for you to rejoice over this. It's all right for you to rejoice when God conquers his enemies, because his enemies have been given so much leeway on this earth to create havoc and to do injustice and to harm people to hurt people, that when justice is finally done, it's okay to rejoice. I've been waiting since 1973, the Roe v. Wade's decision before God wreaks his judgment upon these people who want to kill babies and think that this is perfectly okay. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And when it does, I'm going to rejoice over the baby killers who've done this. I'm going to rejoice about it. 
Now this rejoicing, of course, is in contrast to the woe-woes. There's three sets of woe-woes. The first, the kings of the earth in this chapter said, woe-woe, because Babylon the Great has fallen. And then the merchants who had gotten rich with their intercourse with the whore of Babylon, the great city, apostate Jerusalem, they said, woe-woe. So the king said, woe-woe, the merchants said, woe-woe, and now in this, these verses we see the shipmasters, or in the previous verse, the shipmasters who were in charge of all the carrying trade, all the sailors doing business with the apostate Israel, they said, woe-woe. So everybody's pretty sad, but not the church. Rejoice over her, God says, O heaven, everybody in heaven, which would include the angels, and you saints, that's all the believers, and apostles and prophets, because we're talking about the New Testament church here, this rejoicing, because when apostate Israel went down, the church was liberated in its job to spread the gospel over the whole world. Now, I've got a question here, a little philosophical question. Is it right to rejoice over the defeat of our enemies in the New Covenant era? Is that okay? Does that show love? Yes, it does. It's perfectly okay. It shows the love of God's justice and the love of God's people who are being persecuted. We must pray for the defeat of the enemies of the church, either by conversion or by destruction. Either they accept bend their knee to Jesus or they accept being destroyed so they don't hurt God's people anymore. Not to mention other innocent people who aren't God's people, but who people who aren't actively engaged in all this blatant persecution against the church and against Jesus. When you see that phrase, apostles and prophets, you think the church. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints, and apostles and prophets, because it's the church that's rescued from persecution. Apostles and prophets are the foundation of the new covenant church, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so the leaders of the church will rejoice because Babylon the Great has gone down. And these same apostate Jews who were chasing the apostles around and from synagogue to synagogue and trying them and in some cases killing them, they're gone. Kaputsky, it's over, burnt to the ground. Revelation 18:21. we take up next. And a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone. It had to be a strong angel to pick up this great millstone, this great heavy millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying... Thus will be Babylon the great city, that's apostate Israel, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And that, of course, is exactly what happened in AD 70. Thrown down with violence, burnt to the ground. Now, why a millstone? Because a millstone is very, very heavy. You throw that into the ocean, it sinks. It ain't ever coming back up again. <laughs> will not be found any longer, this verse says. That's it for apostate Israel. It's over. They're never coming back again. This is probably a reference in the Old Testament to the original Babylon. We read in Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 63 and 64, When you have finished reading this scroll, this prophecy, tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River. Then say in the same way, Babylon will sink and never rise again because of the disaster I am bringing on her. They will grow weary. That, of course, happened when the Persians came upon Babylon and put an end to them. That's the old Babylon. Well, the new Babylon is going to be put, put, is going to sink because of the Romans coming in and wiping them out. The new Babylon being rabbinic Israel, the Israel of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, once again, Babylon is called the great city. In verse 21, that term great city shows up all over the place. Now, this great city will not be found any longer. Somebody might want to, might want to object. Wait a minute, Jerusalem's still there can't refer to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's still there, but this says Jerusalem will not be found any longer. Well, let's, let's deal with that. 
Prophecy is not oriented towards geography, but people. What John is saying here is that the Jewish religious system will not be found any longer. That doesn't mean that a, that a physical city, a geographical entity called Jerusalem won't be found there any longer. Israel as the covenant people will not be found any longer because now we have a new covenant people, the church. Now here's an example of how you can't take something, a city, a, a geopolitical entity as not being found any longer. You can't take that literally, referring to the city or the political entity itself. Isaiah 34, 9 and 10. Isaiah says this, Edom's streams will be turned into pitch, her soil into sulfur, her land will become burning pitch. It will never go out day or night. Its smoke will go up forever. It will be desolate from generation to generation. No one will pass through it forever and ever. Now, Edom was to the south of the Dead Sea, a little bit to the east around the bottom of the Dead Sea, and a little bit to the west of the bottom of the Dead Sea. Today, if you look at that area, Edom's ancient territory today still contains flowers and trees. It's not burning pitch, as Isaiah said. Portions of that area of Edom are used as cropland. It's not desolate, not waste, not wilderness. And as Isaiah said in verse 10, Isaiah 34, no one will pass through it forever and ever. Well, travelers continue to pass through Edom today, so it's not literally true that none shall pass through it forever and ever. What Isaiah was trying to say is that Edom at that time, as a organized system of unbelief, is going to be wiped out. It's not that the particular geography there is, not, is, is going to be dealt with forever. Here's another argument that Edom cannot be forever desolate, as Isaiah said. In the physical sense, it can't be forever desolate. We read in Amos 9, 11, and 12, this is a similar type passage. In that day, Amos says, will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up its ru his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. The tabernacle of David, of course, would be the Old Testament tabernacle, the Jewish tabernacle that David's in charge of. So basically talking about raising up the people of God, verse 12, Amos 9, that they may possess the remnant of Eden, Edom and of all the heathen. So the people of God are going to stretch out, the tent's going to stretch out to possess what's left of Edom and all of the heathen, which are called by my name. Now, Edom, this prophecy that Edom is going to be brought into the kingdom is fulfilled by the church converting the heathen. We read in Acts 15, 14 through 17 at the Jerusalem Council, the Apostle James is speaking, quote, Simeon has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's when Simon went to Cornelius' house in Acts 10. And to this agree the words of the prophets. Now James is going to quote Amos here to show how Simon had fulfilled prophecy when he went to the Gentiles. So here's the quotation by James of Amos. After this I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. In other words, the Old Testament people of God has fallen down. Now we've got a new, co new covenant people of God, a new covenant temple, the people of Christ. So James says, quoting Amos still, I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. The residue of men might seek after the Lord, the rest of men might seek after Jesus, and all of the Gentiles shall seek after Jesus. Now, James didn't mention Edom, but he just mentioned the Gentiles because he, he assumed that Edom was part of all the Gentiles that were going to come into the kingdom. Well, if Edom is going to get saved, people in Edom are going to get saved in the New Covenant era, how can you take it literally that it will forever be burning pitch, desolate, no travel will take through it? You can't. 
because it's not talking about the land, it's talking about the people of the land and their rebellion. So, that's a long rabbit trail. Let's go back here to Revelation 18:21. Babylon, the great city, Jerusalem, apostate Jerusalem, will not be found any longer. It means it's going to be destroyed. It doesn't mean that nobody's going to build a city there again. There's been a city there forever. I forgot when it was rebuilt after AD 70. I know it existed in the 7th century when the Byzantine emperor Heraclius got it back from the Sassanid Persians. And then, of course, eventually the Muslims got it. And then the Jews got it in 48. I mean, Jerusalem's been there, the city, but not the system of apostasy that killed Jesus. That's gone. And besides, the word forever can be translated as for a long time. word forever actually is not in verse 21. It says not will be found any longer. But if you look at the word forever, as which is a similar type word, it just sometimes means a long time, not literally forever. So for a long time, nobody's going to pass through there. All right, we go to Revelation 18, verses 22 and 23. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. This is still God speaking to apostate Israel. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. In other words, you're finished. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Now, this is just a very poetic way of saying that Israel has gone down. There's no harpist and musicians and flute players. That means there's no music. So it's nothing but gloom and depression. That's the day the music died for apostate Israel. No craftsman of any craft, no mills, that means no economic activity. Why? Because Jerusalem is a smoldering ruin. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. Why? There's no houses to put lamps in. It's gone. It's over. David Chilton, who likes to find symbols everywhere, says that Jerusalem is no longer the light of the nations because God's word is no longer in her. There's not going to be any more queens of Sheba going up there to get light. But I like to take it literally here. There wasn't going to be any lamps, period, much less Jewish people dispensing wisdom because the whole place has been wiped out. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in apostate Israel any longer. Why? Because now there's no future. There's no people getting married to have kids for a future for Jerusalem. There is no future for apostate Israel. It's over. You know, killing the Son of God is what the Jewish leaders did. That has consequences. In a world of justice and morality and God's law, there are consequences to killing the Son of God, and they suffered extreme consequences. And God says that all of this silence that he's bringing about, wiping out music and trade and marriage life, domestic life, is because your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In other words, they tried to tell the nations that Jesus was not the Messiah. And instead of giving Messiah Jesus to the world, they gave the world Satan. That's sorcery, folks. When you substitute the power of the devil for the power of God, that's sorcery. And so Israel, which was full of demons, chock full of demons, swept clean after Jesus left. And demons came back and said, whoa, look at this place. And they came back into Israel seven times worse than they were at the beginning. And Israel was nothing but a den of demons, deceiving the nations by their sorcery, by their false proclamations that Jesus was not the Messiah. We go now to verse 24, Revelation 18, and we'll finish up this audio. And in her was found, in her means in the great city, in Babylon the Great, in Jerusalem, in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the land. This 
Blood of prophets allusion is another clear allusion to the great city being Jerusalem, Matthew 23, 34-37. Jesus says this, This is why I am sending you prophets, sages and scribes, that's talking about the apostles and the evangelists. Some of them you will kill and crucify, some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged you from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. And so John is referring to this in Revelation 18. He's saying all the blood of the prophets, that's talking about the Old Testament prophets, and also he says blood of prophets and of saints. That could be Old Testament saints. could be referring to New Testament saints, all of them slain on the land. That's talking about apostles. Going back to Matthew 23, verse 36, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, all these things will come on this generation. Now, that's the phrase that he used to describe the current generation of apostate Jews. Verse 37, Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, etc. Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets. John says in Revelation 18:24, And in her, in Jerusalem, was found the blood of prophets. Acts 7, verses 51 and 52, Stephen is talking. You stiff-necked people, Stephen speaks to the Jewish leaders, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, Stephen continues. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit, as your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. I'm telling you, that takes a lot of guts to look at your executioners and tell them that they're betrayers and murderers. Let's finish up with this idea of the blood of the prophets being in Jerusalem. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 13, verses 33 and 34, Yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm a prophet, I'm going to Jerusalem, because that's where I'm going to get killed, because Jerusalem always kills the prophets, and I'm a prophet, they're going to kill me. Verse 34, Luke 13, Jesus continues, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. So ladies and gentlemen, fallen now is Babylon the Great. Fallen is apostate Israel who murdered Jesus. We're finished with chapter 18. In our next audio, we'll take up chapter 19. I'll do the first 10 verses and we'll talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I hope you stay tuned for that audio and I hope you enjoyed this one.